Welcome to the Orange Silicon Valley Bistro Cast, the podcast about what's new, what's coming, and what connects people in the world of tech. I'm Brian Warmoth, the content lead at Orange Silicon Valley. This week, our guest is Justin Young. Justin leads our supply chain and logistics formation at OSV. It's an area of focus where he has had a great deal of experience from his work prior to joining us, but it's also a unique subject for us because it touches on so many other verticals where we work and research. I wanted to have him on today to discuss some of those horizontal connections and the invisible giant that is supply chain and logistics. But I also want to point out some of the shifts that he sees taking place and have him comment on what he sees happening right now. Justin, thanks for joining me today to have that conversation. Thanks, Brian. You have quite the radio voice. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're on the wrong wrong line of business. Uh, You don't want to know my own personal history. I I got kicked off of radio speaking when I was in high school and never never went back. They were jealous. It was an issue. Let's see. Maybe we can just introduce you first. Uh, international supply chains are an incredibly complicated beast to break down. Can you maybe start by giving us a simple definition of the activity that you specifically are interested in here in your yeah. work? Yeah, sure. So I don't know if I can give you a simple definition, but I'll try. Kind of the thesis on, on how we focus on supply chain is really around the communication. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the fundamental challenges within supply chain is the way we communicate. Mm-hmm. And I think anyone within the industry will kind of realize um, that communication is what's at fault, right? Mm-hmm. There's so many handoffs within the value chain, upstream from the supplier or grower, whoever you're working with, all the mm-hmm. way downstream of the retailer. And within each one of those nodes, you know, there's uh, some form of data or communication that's missed. Mm-hmm. So the industry kind of uh, works in a reactionary manner. Mm-hmm. And that's where you see kind of the most inefficient players in the supply chain. They're kind of setting the prices uh, because if the market's tight, they're reacting to issues that arise in the supply chain. Um, it kind of throws off and, and, and creates this uh, bulb effect upstream. Yeah, maybe maybe you could step back and break that down for yeah, me. Sure. When you say reactive, intending to be reactive, well, what does that mean? What's, what's the alternative to being reactive. Yeah, totally, totally. So I, I can I can speak to my experience. So, you know, obviously supply chains are really, really complex. And just in the freight market specifically, and this kind of translates to, to you know, the global freight market, Europe, mm-hmm. APAC, wherever you might mm-hmm. operate. But this past year, we saw this crazy, crazy demand shift in transportation, not just freight transportation, ocean, over-the-road truckload, but also last mile parcel, right? E-commerce mm-hmm. is growing yeah. exponentially, therefore upstream freight models are also increasing in volume. Mm-hmm. So we saw this you know, 100% uh, capacity utilization in the marketplace, mm-hmm. demand being high, prices being high, and, and those that didn't account for that, didn't see the market shift, had to you know, pay exorbitant prices to operate their business. Interesting. And that's sheerly because of a lack of information available Completely. or being sought out by the people on the receiving end there. Completely. Yeah. So, And the people up the chain are just happy to be able to charge high, higher prices. Is that the way that works? Is that my interpretation? Yeah, that's right? exactly right. That's yeah. exactly right. You know, what, there's this funny video that came out. I think it surfaced, surfaced on uh, LinkedIn. But it was this video of this, what looked to be like a husband and a wife uh, in front of a shrink. And they're talking yeah. about maybe their marital issues. But in this case, it was the issues between a sales person and a supply chain person. And they were battling out on the couch as if you went in front of a psychiatrist <laughs> what their issues yeah. were. Yeah. Right? And the biggest yeah. pain points were, well, retailers 
developers, the guys that work downstream in the retail department, they're not relaying information on what's selling, you know, uh, sell through in specific SKUs. Mm-hmm. And upstream, the, the supply chain guys are saying, hey, how much, you know, capacity should we plan for in terms of logistics? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how much uh, inventory do we need to purchase from our suppliers so that we're ready for that sell through, mm-hmm. right? Depending on market and uh, fluctuations, depending on uh, seasonalities, you know, so on. But uh, I think it's a really funny video. I have, to sh- I have to send it to you. Maybe you can send it to the broader audience. Um, uh, I think they'll get a kick out of it, too. But what's really interesting, you know, in the way that we operate here at Orange Silicon Valley, mm-hmm. um, we have a few different verticals, and I'm sure you've spoken about this in the past, um, you know, supply chain logistics being one of them, retail tech being another, mm-hmm. smart cities. Um, and within these verticals, we have these different horizontal technologies, mm-hmm. artificial intelligence, obviously like machine learning, algorithms, robotics, automation, Internet of Things, trade finance, stuff like that, right? So we really have this opportunity to look holistically at the supply sure. chain. All these can be elements of technologies that are inserted into places along the supply chain that enable these kinds of communications that you're talking about, Absolutely, right? yeah. absolutely. Could you tell me how you got into the supply chain world uh, before you came here, and you know what was interesting to it about it to you, and how, how did you get into concentrating on it? Was it originally from the business side or the technical side? Yeah, yeah. So to answer the first question, I kind of grew up in supply chain, believe it or not. Um, yeah. My mom is a career USPS employee. She's a, a postmaster of the USPS here in Northern California. And uh, my dad did a, a, spent a lot of time at DHL before it was purchased yeah. by the Germans. Interesting. So, so they were kind of competitors in a way. Yeah, 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 <laughs> totally. I, I, they worked there before they met each other, which is good. Okay, okay. But the yeah. table yeah. discussions at the dinner table was always around, you know, exception management. Where the heck is this truck driver? There's no accountability, you know, uh, a, lot of, a lot of issues, right, and yeah. these manual processes. Uh, and I never really thought about that growing up, but I was really conscious about this global nature of where we get our mm-hmm. things, how things are shipped. Mm-hmm. Right? If you look around this, the office today that we're recording, the 11th floor in Spear Street, beautiful view. Uh, but you see all these chairs. This is, you know, um, this wood probably comes from South America and Brazil somewhere. Um, the lithium within that recorder there probably comes from uh, Bolivia or, or some, some mining facility, right? So global nature and, and how we get these products mm-hmm. here as a really hard supply chain. Commodities, components, completely. full products, the shipping, right. the retail, every something has to be transported between right. every one and of those it, points. And it's something right. like 70% of, of anything you see mm-hmm. is transported by ocean, for example, which means it really shows the, the global globalization of, of how we get our things, right? Sure. Ocean shipping. Um, and 90% of, of things in general are transported by, by truck, mm-hmm. right? So everything is moved somehow by, by either ocean or, or over the road. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's one of the largest industries in the world mm-hmm. that no one really realizes. So the first thing that comes to mind, this gets back to your point from a, a minute or two ago, are, are the communications needs necessarily in competition with one another? If one side is benefiting from higher prices, does that mean that it's not in their interest to have better communications coming on down the line? <laughs> how, how does that how does that need and that disconnect get negotiated within the supply chain, right? Because yeah. do they not need to allow data to be available for it to flow down to somewhere else? 
Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a double-edged sword. Yeah, yeah I see what you're. I see what you're saying. And maybe you, you can have Moses Choi on the podcast <laughs> soon. He's a Wall Street guy. But we kind of talk. We, we kind of talk about you know the inefficiencies in the supply chain and who's gaining from those inefficiencies, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, in the transportation sectors, if a shipper, say a retailer like Walmart or Target, waits for the last minute, doesn't you know forecast market conditions to change, mm-hmm. um, they end up paying more, and the logistics provider. Uh, you know, uh, gets better margins, mm-hmm. right, from that. Mm-hmm. Um, on the flip side, on the supplier level, right, uh, trade financiers really benefit, uh, you know, if there's, if there's high risk, you know, if there's assets to be, to be taken at the end of the, the you know, uh, again, ask Moses about that. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot to be gained within the inefficiencies now. Um, but I think what's starting to change is this inevitable, you know, manifestation of digitalization within the supply chain, mm-hmm. um, and that we can't operate that way anymore because we see the likes of Amazon, um, who are insourcing their supply chain. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, they are creating operations internally and making these operations really efficient, to where Amazon says, "Hey, we don't need this inefficient industry that we leveraged in the past. We're just going to build it internally." Yeah. Right. So you can think about the last mile flex program that they had, right? Uh, um, sourcing gig drivers to deliver the last mile, yeah. right? Kind of compete now, with the USPS. Is it an accurate understanding from my point of view as sort of a, a casual person of casual interest and or consumer who orders things from Amazon? Are, are they getting more vertically integrated with the different stages of the supply chain? Is, yeah. that, is, that, a, is that an accurate way to assess that, that That's completely accurate, yeah. right. They're, they're taking this, they're vertically integrated and they're also um, becoming a little bit more asset heavy, if you will. Mm-hmm. What right? do you mean by that? Yeah, sure. So asset heavy is an organization that you know, owns the assets themselves, from trucks mm-hmm. to manufacturing facilities to warehousing facilities. You know, throughout the value chain. Yeah. Um, if you think of asset light organizations like an Alibaba, mm-hmm. right? They really talk about um, you know using the ecosystem, a third-party ecosystem, to empower other organizations uh, to work for Alibaba. Mm-hmm. So they rely on third parties. Amazon kind of started that asset light model, but they kind of realized that, hey, we need, we need a little bit more assets so that we can control our supply chain. Mm-hmm. Um, on the flip side, you see someone like Walmart who is really asset heavy yeah. and are becoming more asset light, right? Switching from this traditional brick and mortar, traditional supply chain to maybe this on-demand model, digital marketplaces, things like That's that. That's interesting. So why does Walmart benefit from moving in that direction while Amazon benefits from moving in the other direction? Are those strategic decisions yeah. they've chosen to compete against one Yeah, another? yeah, yeah, great question, right? You, you, you've kind of seen Walmart dominate the landscape of, of traditional brick and mortar, mm-hmm. right? Uh, longtime player, um, and you see Amazon dominate the, the marketplace, but I think there comes, there's this cross-section where everyone kind of believes that brick and mortar is here to stay, retail's not dying, it's evolving, yeah. right? David Martin will, will advocate <laughs> for that. Yeah. And, and therefore, they, see, they think that this, this view of omni-channel, where you can sell things online and in-store, and have kind of a seamless, frictionless uh, checkout process for the end consumer, uh, where they can purchase online, pick up in store. Right. That is the future of, of retail. So you need a, a good mixture of both, mm-hmm. brick and mortar and you know, online. Okay. Okay. You've, you've worked in projects here, and I wanted to kind of get into 
the types of companies that work together and in, in, in the projects you look at. Uh, you, you've worked with a lot of stakeholders in a variety of these contexts. You mentioned a few of them. You know, you're talking about you know our interests in watching retail, our interests in uh, maybe it's blockchain, maybe it's smart cities, wherever these things come into play. And, and this came up when we talked about doing this episode. I, could, could you give me some examples of where opportunities have emerged in some of these other sectors that interconnect with supply chain logistics technologies? Completely, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, maybe maybe talk about some of the startups you've you've met here, sure. uh, and that you've seen. Yeah, sure, sure. So so to kind of give you you know an idea of, of working in supply chain, it's a really hard business, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you're working long hours. Uh, most processes are pretty manual, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, right? So you're 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 talking to various stakeholders in different time zones, um, trying to facilitate you know uh, trade pricing negotiations, contracts, uh, claims, so on and so forth. Um, so there's a really high turnover. So what we've seen in Silicon Valley is this push towards human resource tech, um, right? Uh, we have a huge driver shortage in the U.S. for oh, truck sure. drivers. I, I totally understand what you mean by that. Right. Yeah. Warehousing yeah. is hard to find um, you know, seasonal labor to yeah. fulfill these e-commerce orders, things like that. So, so we're seeing you know, on, the, on the HR front um, a lot of uh, new companies that are merging to provide new sources of, of, of labor mm-hmm. for the supply chain sector. So that, that, well, that's what's one example. behind that human resources shortage? Is that just people just don't want to be truckers anymore? Or totally. Is, yeah, totally. Is, is it as simple as that? I, I think it's a little bit more complex, but I think we've, um, you know, the world has, the world has evangelized this idea that uh, that's not an honorable you know, career choice anymore. Okay. Right? Interesting. Um, and we see that across not just the U.S., right? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I mean, it's it, hard. You're away, from, especially if you have a family or, you know, yeah, totally. on the road. And totally. I, I've seen that growing up with friends who had, you know, parents who were on the road quite a bit. It can be very stressful. It's very lucrative business, yeah. but unless you grew up in it, you wouldn't know that, right? Yeah. Um, I, I listened to this podcast. Uh, I, I've seen some of what they're willing to offer new people and contracts and help right. want. Yeah, good point. Ads. Like they, yes. these are, they aren't, it's not a low-paying gig. No, yeah, so yeah. Walmart just increased the driver's salary to, what, 87000 yeah. a year, yeah. uh, which is pretty solid, right? Yeah. That, that, that's a lot. Mind you, they're going to be on the road a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, DHL, I was listening to podcasts, and, and they mentioned that driver shortage isn't just an issue in the U.S., but in Asia, they're having troubles in China to get drivers. Interesting. In, in I v- wasn't aware of that. In Vietnam, yeah. right, they can't get you know, millennials to drive trucks anymore because they don't see that as an arm, uh, you know, honest business yeah. or honorable business. Yeah. So it's not just a U.S. situation. It's, 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 mm-hmm. it's global. Right, and as we have driver shortages, prices for transportation will increase, mm-hmm. um, and that you know price might uh, reflect on the end consumer. Yeah. Um, so, so we're seeing yeah. a lot of a lot of technologies in that front. Yeah. You know, human and, and how long do you think the horizon is before there's before that's automated away and isn't an issue anymore? I mean, it's not tomorrow. It's no. not next year. No. Is, it, there, is it even a decade from now? Right. And that brings us to our next point. Right. Yeah. Where does the, where do these other technologies? You know, what's the role in mm-hmm. all of this? Right. Mm-hmm. So we we look at uh, AI, machine learning, automation, mm-hmm. um, and I think autonomous vehicles was the easiest use case for this, and I think we're all very hopeful in this last year that, you know, AVs were going to lead the future for, for shipping, logistics, uh, driver shortage wasn't going to be an issue anymore, yeah. but it frankly wasn't the case, right? Mm-hmm. We saw auto closed down, um, you know, Apple's AV project kind of slowed down a little bit, Tesla mm-hmm. kind of halted their, their semi-truck um, they, they, they made a big, big announcement out of yeah. unveiling that, that 
that design and everything. Completely. So, so the challenge is a lot harder. And what's interesting to me, and I think you saw some of the some of the highlights this week, right? There's two um, uh, autonomous vehicle truck companies that just raised a, a load of money. You know, the, we still have high hopes that autonomy is going to you know drive trucking, but it's right. not going to be now, right? right? So right now we have to focus yeah. on human resource. Yeah. You know, how to how to retain employees, how to make them happy, right? That, that's yeah. that's what's important. Uh, right autonomy is not going to get everybody their Amazon packages no. next holiday season. No, it's right? not. They, that's, that's they exactly still need right. human resources to solve that problem. Yeah, that's exactly right. Right. right? In terms of some of the projects you've worked on, what maybe you could talk talk to me even specifically? I know you worked on this uh, uh, Heineken contest that there there was an announcement out of was this a month ago mm-hmm. or something you went over. What, what can you tell me about that? Yeah, yeah. So I, I think it's a good example of how we work with orange stakeholders totally. and with startups out here in the Bay Area and create opportunities. Yeah. yeah. So, so OSV kind of works with three, I guess, stakeholders, mm-hmm. um, right? We, we um, work with the startups within the Silicon Valley ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Um, we work with Orange either internal or, or, or OBS, who operates mm-hmm. 220 Orange countries, services. Orange Business sure. Services, sure. and as well as Orange Fab. And Orange Fab is kind of our in-house corporate accelerator. Mm-hmm. Um, and we partner with a handful of corporates across different sectors, manufacturing, mm-hmm. um, construction, logistics um, and we try to find startups that fit their needs because we kind of ultimately think that these organizations they have the best ideas but the big challenge is change management within the organization mm-hmm. um, and with their ideas they need maybe a partner that can really help them drive yeah. innovation it gets to something else I was going to talk to you about about the advantages that some of these uh, young startups have versus incumbents and established incumbents within yeah. the, the, these areas totally yeah. so, so to your point with Heineken Right, um, we worked with Orange Business Services, who's a uh, who's really close to Heineken mm-hmm. um, out of Amsterdam, and <clears throat> Heineken approached them and said, "Hey, we have a, a I guess a challenge. Mm-hmm. We want to you know improve our supply chain. What ideas do you have for us?" Mm-hmm. <clears throat> right, so uh, we kind of brainstormed a few ideas. We selected maybe ten great ideas around supply chain innovation, digitalizing supply chains, and. Um, of the ten, two were selected uh, to compete, and we competed with uh, digital vendors from um, IBM Watson to our competitors like uh, T-Mobile, so yeah. on and so forth. Right? And excuse me. <clears throat> and um, yeah, we, we were chosen. We we won a really great project with a startup of ours called Foxtrot Systems here in the Bay Area, and it's for last mile dynamic route optimization. Okay. Uh, using AI. To dynamically reroute trucks, mm-hmm. um, if you know external situations arise, maybe it's weather, traffic, so on and so forth, or maybe customers not there. So, so that's comparable them. to what I might see in my driving app when it says, "Uh oh, we've identified sure. a situation. We're going to reroute you." Completely, right? but it's thing. even more dynamic than that. In that, we've all heard of that crazy case, you know, with FedEx of uh, you know FedEx trucks or what is it, UPS? I can't remember the two, but they they never make left turns, right? They're always <laughs> okay. making rights, okay. right? Because yeah. they never have to wait at a stoplight. I see. So yeah. they have this like you know uh, really robust routing optimization platform. Fascinating. Um, so it's essentially allowing that. Yeah. You know uh, what what what. Uh, and depending on the FedEx truck, has. you have to know what kind of roads you can use versus not use. Totally, sure, totally. Right? And we can even go into detail and say, you know, traditionally, if we have a new driver on this route, the old driver.
driver might know exactly where this you know retailer is, mm-hmm. how to approach them, where the back door is. Oh, I see. If you have a new driver, they might not know, yeah. so they might spend 30 minutes looking for the entrance. Yeah. Uh, if you have the, a big facility with a totally. dozen or more loading docks or different ends of the exactly facility, right. I, I totally get that. Right. Yeah. So, so it'll streamline that process. These are the coordinates that you go to. Um, uh, it, it'll collect data on how often yeah. it takes to make a delivery. Yeah. You know, things like that. So it really digitalizes the last mile. Yeah. Um, and, and it's not evasive in that um, it'll, over time, if a driver's really used to this one route that he does, he knows all the customers, over time it'll slowly recommend better ways of doing what he's already doing. Yeah. Right? Um, so again, we talk about change management. Yeah. That's the hardest thing with the supply chain and this legacy Leveraging industry. the software's ability to learn from what's happening. Completely. Improve, Completely. Improved results. Right. Interesting. So, yeah. yeah so, so again, right, the customer came into Orange, uh, mm-hmm. a, a trusted digital mm-hmm. vendor, and said, hey, we have a challenge. How could you work with us? Um, Orange Business Services came to Orange Silicon Valley and said, hey, here's the challenge. Let's brainstorm. Who do you have in the Silicon Valley that might be interested in this project? We've identified an opportunity. So yeah, it, it, it's, it's really great. It's a really great program. You've You've already hit on two things that kind of come up. I think in the next question I had for you, and what, you know, one of those is the the shift to for, shifts between asset heavy and asset light operations. Uh, the other here is talking about uh, last mile, you know, AI integration to improving routes and navigation ability. What would you characterize as the biggest shifts that you see companies dealing with uh, in the supply chain and logistics world right now? Whether that's technology challenges or business challenges? Yeah, so um, good question. So on the technology front, um, it's how do we share information throughout the value chain? Right, and this right. gets back to what we were talking about totally. earlier. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So there's a number of you know organizations thinking about how to do this, but it really comes down to to what's happening now. Mm-hmm. And a lot of organizations, you know, they have huge teams that have been operating these IT systems for years, mm-hmm. right? And and it's um, job security for them. So there's yeah. some reluctancy yeah. to change how they operate sure. now, right? Yeah. Uh, implementing new software, maybe using API, which hasn't been, you know. Uh, a, a widely used technology in supply chain, I'd say. So right now we have this um, a- APIs. What? APIs. Yeah. How? How? Where do those come into play there? Yeah. So good question. So traditionally, how we communicate digitally. So mm-hmm. digital communication in the supply chain isn't new. We've mm-hmm. done it uh, last fifty years. Mm-hmm. Um, we we communicated traditionally through this process through this technology called EDI, electronic mm-hmm. uh, electronic data interchange, mm-hmm. and it started with the U.S. Uh, military, and they created this way for the military supply chains to communicate with each other, mm-hmm. right? How much inventory yeah. they have, what to move, things mm-hmm. like this. Um, and Walmart adopted it mm-hmm. for, for their vendors. Mm-hmm. And they said, you know, um, when a truck arrives, send an EDI connection to someone's ERP system mm-hmm. and say a truck arrived at this time. At that point, was that decision ahead of the curve, or were they, it was, they were they setting the standard, or were they following? The, well, they absolutely the set the standard there. because yeah. now that's the standard across most supply chains. Mm-hmm. I see. Uh, it, it doesn't matter what sector what sector uh, you operate in because logistics operates in all sectors, right? Mm-hmm. So you have one truck driver working for Walmart. That same truck driver might be transporting aerospace equipment for I Boeing, see. right? And they know. EDI well, so they're 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 using EDIs, you know, to, to communicate. So this this has become the standard for communication. But the challenge with EDI is it's a very bespoke integration, and it takes a long time. Um, so now what we're moving towards is API connections to where you can just call information from someone's big data lake or big system um, yeah. and extrapolate inf- 
information from there without yeah. needing you know manual entry. You have one central guy. source of truth for all of Completely. that, which is reading from multiple places Completely. but providing the data out yeah. in, a, in, a, in a wide. And data governance way. becomes a challenge after that if sure. the supply chain operates you know geographically. Geopolitics yeah. plays a role. You know if you have a supply chain in China, mm-hmm. uh, you know how do you relay information yeah. from China into the U.S. For example, that becomes a big challenge. Sure. So um, you know blockchain becomes a big topic for this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know data governance, data security, things like that. Interesting. And where are startups finding their opportunities? I mean, you already you already talked about one example with with Foxtrot there, but where where do you think startups are finding the best opportunities to? Is it because they're able to take risk more easily than some of the larger organizations who might not otherwise be? pushing innovations forward. Who's doing it and what are they doing? Yeah, yeah. So I, I think, and I think you know this well, right? There's a trend with multinationals to kind of open up innovation arms mm-hmm. in San Francisco. Yeah. But um, yeah, so that's kind of the trend. And with that, it's kind of the driving force of this change management dilemma that we face, yeah. right? Is that, okay, we're away from the traditional legacy and how we operate at HQ. So we have the autonomy to kind of find innovation if we want to build it in-house. We can, but you know, it's uh, we see it as, as more beneficial to partner with a startup because they already have somewhat of a robust product. They have a team that knows the challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, they can maybe switch gears if they need to, to maybe customize a solution yeah. um, if there's a specific use case. Mm-hmm. So um, the opportunity is really partnering with startups who have a new way of thinking Mm-hmm. Um, can can uh, change routes really quickly and, and can work with you know work on proof of concepts with us. I see. And therefore, the corporate learns, startup learns, um, and and we'd uh, move from there. Uh, maybe outside of that, what do you think the most important developing stories are uh, in supply chains over the next few years? If you had to, you know, tell me the three or four things that you're watching, uh, looking ahead ten years. What what questions are in your mind about? Horizons for incoming technologies to take root, for potential of undeveloped technologies to become fully evolved and begin exerting influence over the way we do things. What are you watching? Yeah, so I think like everyone else, Amazon, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think it's really fascinating what Amazon's doing. Um, similar to their AWS model where they built their data centers for themselves, yeah. right? And uh, then they opened it up to the general public to sell uh, you know, services, web services. Same thing is happening with supply chain, right? Um, Amazon recently got, uh, got an NVOCC license. That means non-vessel owning common carrier license, which is essentially they're a freight broker. So they can broker freight on okay. cargo ships, rent container spaces. Mm-hmm. And they're doing that internally, but over time, you know, they're going to offer that service to other shippers. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe that's on the same trade route as Amazon, shipping wow. things from manufacturers in China yeah. to the West Coast or East Coast or even Europe, yeah. right? Um, so that's interesting. Yeah. Um, there's another article that came out on, uh, you know, FedEx or UPS, the, you know, the big parcel guys of the world. They said in the past that Amazon was not a competitor, mm-hmm. right? Uh, they're a big customer of ours. We respect yeah. them as customers. Yeah. Uh, but until recently, they kind of changed their mind. And they yeah. said, well, we now see Amazon as a competitor. And it's a guessing game lots of industries have to play now. Completely. Uh, and, and, and companies that didn't make that guess in the correct way years ago are now finding out whether or not they, they misjudged. But right Yeah, now, yeah. So, so Parcel... It's, a, it's an issue. The Parcel industry has this, I guess, challenge... You know, around optimizing their supply chains, if you will, their internal network. Mm-hmm. Um, and parcels a lot easier than than freight, 
Because freight, uh, anything Why is that? Good question. Yeah. So anything that's over 150 pounds, something that yeah. maybe a, a postman can't lift, mm -hmm. uh, that becomes freight. And with freight, like we talked about, there's so many different stakeholders and handoffs, right? You have a different truck driver that's maybe doesn't work for your organization, and they're, you know, sending it to the port authority, who's another organization who goes on a Merck ship, who's a different organization, and in the reverse of that, at the end port, um, so you have so many different handoffs within mm -hmm. the freight ecosystem. And Parcel, you think about FedEx, UPS, DPD Group, Geopost, and France, who we work with, um, they have an internal network, right? So they have drivers from pickup of their own of their own drivers. It gets sent throughout their network through their own sorting machines downstream to their other line haul trucks, their airplanes. So they control everything. Mm -hmm. So um, the opportunity for for parcel people are, are a lot easier because they can implement solutions within their network, and they don't really need any external stakeholders. I see. To, yeah. Right to, to yeah, accept or reject. Um, what's happening? Well, there are obviously change management issues as well, but the, the opportunity is a lot greater. In all this uh, context, maybe could you could articulate for me who, who who are you looking to meet here at OSV as you work on these projects and uh, look for these you know incoming disruptive technologies? Yeah, anyone and everybody. Yeah. You know, I think this industry is so old, um, and uh, oftentimes we kind of uh, think, no, that'll never work because that's not that's not how the market works, right? Yeah. But um, I'm open to meeting anyone that's interested in you know the way global commerce and trade happens. Um, I'm looking forward to meeting startups who have an interesting perspective yeah. on um, you know data orchestration, yeah. um, artificial yeah. intelligence, and how that relates to the greater supply chain. Interested in meeting, meeting new corporates, you know, corporates who are here in, in San Francisco who want to meet interesting startups and um, you know share perspective on the topics. Interested yeah. in that as well. And of course, to the audience within Orange. Mm -hmm. I'm happy to talk further about uh, how maybe your customers are looking at innovation, supply chain, yeah. um, or how we can assist uh, any way possible. That's great. And how can they reach you? Yes, yeah, so you can reach me at uh, justin.young at orange.com. Email's great. Justin, thanks again for sitting down with me. It's an interesting thing to look at because it's a, it's a, it's a whole world that's behind everything we touch and use, whether that's in the enterprise, at the indus in industry, or as consumers. So uh, look forward to having you on again sometime and talking about more of it. Thanks for, thanks for sitting down here and sharing your thoughts. Thanks so much, Brian. Thanks for listening to the Orange Silicon Valley Bistrocast. I'm Brian Warmoth, and we're glad that you could be a part of the conversation. We have more episodes coming out to you in 2019. While you wait, we hope that you'll follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and orangesv.com, where you'll find a subscribe link to our weekly email newsletter, The Main Cable. If you like what you see, consider following our calendar and coming out to some of our live events, which we hold throughout the year and feature many of our analysts, the same folks who you will hear on this podcast in past and future episodes. We also host events with partners and many members of the tech and investment community from around San Francisco and Silicon Valley, as well as internationally. It's always a good time. Show up and let them know that the BistroCast sent you.